history according to Luke 24, part 3, spoken by Pastor Kevin Swanson. I don't know if any of you remember being here 67 Sundays ago on January 8, 2017, where we cracked open the book of Luke, chapter 1. Does anybody remember? Like, oh yeah, I was here that day. Yeah, I see some hands. I see some hands. It was that, that passage with uh, Zechariah the priest and his wife, and they were an infertile couple, and the priest had some doubts, and, and it led up into the birth of Jesus Christ. And for these 67 Sundays plus five more during Holy Week, we have been journeying bit by bit through the book of Luke, which is the account of the life of Jesus Christ as written by this man, Luke. And we found out this guy, Luke, uh, he was a professional. He was one of the best writers in the Bible. But more than anything, he was like this investigative journalist. He wouldn't write it unless he could verify it. And so he dug into the life of Jesus, and he talked to the eyewitnesses, and he got people who agreed with things, and he recorded them for us here, and we've been blessed to be in this. Now, Pastor David Hosang, who is not here with us today, he and his wife are in China right now. If they're watching online, you guys should be in bed, but uh, he's the one who was the architect of this entire journey. Pastor Peter gave him the unenviable task of starting with Easter 2018 and working backwards through the entire book, breaking it up into bite-sized pieces for us. So each week we could have the opportunity to discover more truth about the life of Jesus Christ, but not in large chunks, but in small pieces. And so we ended with the resurrection uh, two weeks ago on Easter Sunday, and then Pastor Peter was uh, with us last week in the first part of chapter 24, and today we finish uh, the book at the ending of chapter 24. Personally, I'm a little bit sad because this to me has been kind of this epic journey. Um, even when I wasn't uh, up here preaching, I was, I was eating it up and I love reading the passage ahead. I hope we can all make that a practice uh, as, as we let you know a week ahead of time what uh, scripture will be in because every time I read ahead, I definitely got more out of it. Now, if you were to take me aside after the service today and say, Pastor Kevin, how would you define the book of Luke in a few words? How would you sort of encapsulate everything that we have experienced in the last like 15 months? I would have to say these would be my three words, Jesus and people. Jesus and people. Now, now Luke had the wherewithal to write some kind of a theological or academic treatise. He could have analyzed the words of Jesus, the sermons of Jesus, and put together something that could be very helpful for us. But he didn't choose to do that. Instead, he took the relational path, and he introduces us to dozens and dozens of people throughout this three-year journey that Jesus had here during his ministry on earth. And he shows us how Jesus interacts with people. And so, as we get to know these people, hopefully we find ourselves relating to them. Because people relate to people, right? Don't we like that? Don't we like to read about other people and meet with people and hear their stories and stuff like that? That's exactly what Luke does for us here. And we find Jesus amazingly interacting a lot with women. Which, in that day, women were like, third-class citizens at best, and Jesus gives women dignity. 
in the, pa- in the passages that we've seen. We see Jesus relating not only to his own people culturally, but he's relating to the Roman military officers that are occupying his country. He's concerned about them too. We find Jesus relating to those who have been kicked to the curb in that society. People who were, who were for whatever reason, uh, shunned by the rest of society. Jesus seeks them out and relates to them. But not only that, he relates to their oppressors. He cares about them. He wants them to understand that they've made some wrong choices in how they're looking at some of their sisters and brothers. He relates to people that have been ill for years, crippled for most of their lifetime, relates to people that were very wealthy and people that were incredibly poor, that had absolutely nothing. Jesus was all about people. He has a relational heart and he truly cared about the people that he encountered and he truly cares about you today right now where you sit, no matter what you're sitting in the middle of. He loves you, and he cares about you. If you were here like three weeks ago, and we talked about the crucifixion of Jesus, he loved you all the way to the cross. Gave his life for you so that you could have a reestablished relationship with God. It was the only way. It was the only way, and he did it willingly for us. Now today, as we wrap up our study in Luke, we're at the end of chapter 24. And in case you weren't here last week, the backstory is this. After Jesus was crucified and buried, his followers kind of freaked out because it's like, wow, Jesus is gone. They, they got him. He was, he was executed. And we're going we're gonna to learn a little more about that in a moment. But two of his followers left town. We're not told. Luke doesn't tell us exactly why they left town, but I can sort of imagine why they left town. I mean, Jerusalem was a hot spot right then. Their leader had just been killed. And they were very right in thinking, we're next. So these two guys leave. And Luke tells us that as they're traveling to this other town nearby called Emmaus, that a stranger comes up alongside them in the road, and they don't recognize the stranger. Well, it turns out the stranger is Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. And Pastor Peter told us last week the reason they couldn't recognize him was because they had no place in their minds for resurrection. Oh, they believed that it was going to happen sometime long in the future when, when at the end of time, when all people would resurrect from the dead. And so somebody resurrecting in three days, no capacity to understand that. So, I mean, they might have thought, oh, this guy looks a lot like Jesus or whatever. Ultimately, they figure out, oh my goodness, this is, this is Jesus. He's, he's back. He's alive. He did what he said he was going to do. Jesus leaves them. They run back to Jerusalem in the dark so they can go tell the rest, tell the, the apostles, wait a minute, it's true. Jesus has risen from the dead. And that's where we pick up the story today in verse 35. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. They were startled. And frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. 
When he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that's written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. And he told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. Church, this is the word of God for you today. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for this time of worship that we have experienced together already today. I thank you for the rich reminders that these songs carried for us. Thank you, God, that we are people of the resurrection. And in that, there is great hope. And God, as we gather here today, I confess I have no idea what everybody brought through the door with them today. I have no idea what my brothers and sisters are facing today, but you do. And I ask, God, that in the midst of what joys, what sorrows, what disappointments, what questions may be present in this room today, that you will meet your people face-to-face, heart-to-heart, right where they need you. God, thank you that your word is truth. Thank you that it is alive. And may this time, God, bring glory to you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. So what I'd like us to look at for a few moments here in this passage are three last words that Jesus has for his best friends. Most of us have been there. You're in a situation where you're saying goodbye to somebody for maybe an extended length of time. And what, is the, what, what do you want to be ringing in their ears as they go away? You know, you're sending your kid off to college or something like that. What, what's the last words you want to give to them? That's, I believe, how Jesus approached this last encounter that Luke records for us here in this gospel. And the first of those three words comes out right away in the passage in verse 36, where we read this. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said, peace be with you. Peace be with you. Now, this is really ironic that Jesus would choose that kind of a greeting because Those that were gathered in the room that night that Jesus appeared to were experiencing everything but peace right then. Their leader had been killed. Uh, John tells us in his gospel that they they had locked the doors for fear of the religious leaders. Why? Well, they got the leader. These guys were publicly associated with Jesus, and it just stands to reason that, that, that there'd be a price on their heads now. And so because of that, they'd gathered in this room, and they'd locked the doors, and they had no idea what to do. 
They were experiencing fear, no terror at this point in time. And all of a sudden, Jesus shows up in their presence. And with these words, peace be with you, Jesus is saying to them, the circumstances haven't changed, but peace is still available to you. That peace is still a possibility even in the midst of what you're experiencing at this moment. Peace be with you, Jesus says to them. In John's gospel, uh, when he's recording some of the words of Jesus as he interacted with his disciples, in chapter 14, verse 27, we read Jesus saying this, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. What Jesus is revealing in this passage here is that there are options out there for where to seek peace. And he says the peace that the world gives. And when he talks about the world, he's talking about the culture. He's talking about the environment. He's talking about those things that we tend to gravitate towards to that we think will give us peace. And it's usually things like financial security, when I can finally earn enough money to where I feel like, okay, I'm going to be all right, then we think we're going to experience peace. Or possibly material possessions that we don't have at this time. And when I can get that, that, that house, that car, that whatever, then I'm going to experience peace. Or it's a relationship. You know, God, when you bring me the right person for me to spend the rest of my life with, then I will experience peace. Now, as I look out across this room today, there's a lot of collective experiences going on, but I can pretty well guarantee that for all of us, we've been disappointed if we have pursued peace in any of those things. And Jesus knows that. And he says, that's not the kind of peace I offer to you. I offer you something different. He says, my peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I give a different kind of peace than what the world might offer. The Apostle Paul helps us in Ephesians chapter 2.14 as he writes to one of the churches and he's talking about Jesus and he simply says this, for he himself, that is Jesus, for he himself is our peace. So when Jesus walked in the room last that night, he brought peace himself into the room. Jesus is peace personified and Jesus offers himself as the peace that lasts, not a peace like the world offers, but a peace that actually we can experience in the midst of we might, what we might call the worst of times. He is our peace. Church, the peace of Christ is available to us, all of us, in all situations. And the peace of Christ is what Jesus wants for us. It's not this little extra added bonus on the side. No, no. Jesus wants us to experience his peace at all times. This is what he offers to us. He seeks out his followers that he knows are in a very unpeaceful situation. He goes to where they are. He meets them at that place, and he offers them peace. He doesn't wait for them to come searching for him. No, he pursues us with peace. But that's not the only thing that Jesus is talking about here, I believe, in this passage when he says, peace be with you. Because he's talking to a gathered group of people. 
Yes, it's made up of individuals and they all have their own stuff. But they're also a group. We know the 11 are there. We're told that the 11 apostles are there. Judas, of course, as we know, had disqualified himself at this point. He's gone. We know the two are there who came back from Emmaus. That makes 13. But then scripture always also tells us that there were some others that were there that had followed Jesus. I believe it's probably those women that had so faithfully followed Jesus, even when the men all scattered at the crucifixion. I believe it's probably those women that were there as well. So here's this group of maybe 15 people. And Jesus looks at them as a group and he says, you plural, plural, peace be with you, with you as a group, with all of you. Why does he say that? Because peace should distinguish the people of God. Peace should be a defining element in any gathered group of the people of God. Peace should be something that defines us, church. I don't know if any of you come out of a, a reformed tradition in your, uh, in your church experience or maybe have been exposed to like the Anglican church, but they have a practice in their churches that would, is very different than what we do. I, I think it's kind of cool. It's called the passing of the peace. And, and in a worship service like this, the leader, uh, in, in one particular manifestation of this, the leader will say to everybody who's gathered there, the peace of the Lord be always with you. And then the people that are gathered in one voice will respond back to the leader and say, and also with you. And, and it's just something they do on a Sunday morning as a, as a reminder. I've been in one situation where it was handled a little bit differently, where the leader stood in front of everybody and he just kind of assumed everybody knew how to do this. I didn't. I just sort of watched. He said, he said, and now is the time for you to pass the peace. Everybody stands up, and they just look at the person closest to them. Might be a stranger. Might be the person they came in with. And the first person says, the peace of our Lord be always with you. And then the person that they spoke to responds back to them and also with you. So it's this, it's this two-part thing, and it's going on all around the room. And some people are doing it with more than one person. And somebody initiates it and says, the peace of the Lord be always with you, and the other person responds back to them and with you also. I thought that was pretty cool, because it was just this reminder between the people, the peace of God. Can I ask you to stand? The words are up here. Somebody just be brave enough to be the one to start it off and extend the peace to somebody else and then receive it back from them. Give it a try. And also with you. I can tell some of you like that. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of hard for you to stop. Church, those are not just words. Those are, those are not just words. This is an acknowledgement that the God of peace is within us. And when we can extend the peace to somebody else, not the peace the world talks about, but the, but the peace of God, when we can extend that to somebody else, that's an indication 
of who's inside of us. It's a reminder to us that God has not left us alone. Your situation may not be peaceful at all, but you can still extend and receive the peace from one of God's children. The Apostle Paul uh, was writing to one of the churches in Colossians chapter 1, 26 and 27. He's talking to them about something that has been hidden, something that has not been known. And then he says, he talks about the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, here it comes, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul is writing to a gathered group of Christians, followers of Jesus Christ, and he's saying to them, it wasn't like this before. This is different. This is new. Jesus has come, lived, died, resurrected from the dead. He is now resident inside of you. Christ in you. That's the only reason we can pass the peace. Because Christ is resident within each and every one of us. The second word that I want us to look at this morning in this passage is the word doubt. The word doubt. And this uh, shows up for us in verse 38. He said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your minds? Why do doubts rise in your minds? If you recall our journey through the book of Luke, you will remember that this topic has come up time and time again with Jesus and his followers. He'll teach them something. He'll tell them something. Something happens shortly after that shows, nah, they didn't get that at all. And Jesus says, this is what's going to happen. And like, they don't want to believe it. They're blocking their ears up. The one time they got in the boat, Jesus says, let's go across to the other side of the lake. In the middle of the lake, a huge storm comes up. Some of these guys have been fishermen. They live their whole lives on the lake. They came to the conclusion that life was over. This is where we die. We drown tonight in the middle of the lake. The water's coming in faster than we can bail it. In a matter of minutes, we're all dead. Jesus calms the storm. And the disciples are all wide-eyed. Whoa, we never expected anything like this. And Jesus responds to them, where is your faith? Where is your faith? Do you still not believe? So the disciples struggled with it, and they're struggling with it here at this place. We, we read, Luke tells us that they think this is a ghost. They can't believe it's really Jesus. They're rubbing their eyes. Are we seeing something here that isn't real at all? They're struggling with doubts once again. But note this, church, that their doubts do not disqualify them. Jesus doesn't fire them because of their doubts. He doesn't say, that's 10 times now that you have failed in your faith. No, he doesn't do that. He's patient with them. He's gentle with them. He addresses them right where they are because he knows that their doubts demand some kind of proof, that they're not believing it yet. So they need a little something more. And so Jesus delivers. He gives them what they need. And I'd just like to draw your attention to four things that Jesus does in this passage to address the doubts of his followers. The first is he speaks to them. He, he, talk, he explains to them. 
he, he talks and he listens and he enters into dialogue with them. The second thing that Jesus does is he says to them, look at me. Look, I'm not a ghost. Come on. I have substance. I'm real. I'm talking. We're interacting. Look at me. And then he offers for them to touch him. You know, you can see the nail prints in my hands. Come touch. Come feel it. Come touch. You, a ghost doesn't have flesh and bones. He says, come on, please touch me. Come on, come on. Fist bump, high five, whatever you want. Touch me. And then finally, he does what we all love the most. He says, let's eat. <laughs> let's eat. Let's have some food together. And apparently in that day, a, belief, a common belief among people was that ghosts can't eat. <laughs> the ghosts don't eat food. I guess it'd just fall right through them. I don't know. But so Jesus says, do you guys have some food around here? I, you know, I'm hungry. I haven't eaten for three days. Can we eat something? And they provide some food. And so he eats. And in each one of them, he gives them proof that helps them to overcome their doubts. Church, we are surrounded today by people with doubts. They're, they're all around us. They're in the workplace. Some of them live under the same roof as you. They're in your schools. They're sitting next to you in a chair this morning. We are surrounded by people with doubts. And I would suggest that we should look at the strategy that Jesus used with his best friends that night when they were terrified, and we should employ the exact same strategies, maybe in slightly different ways. But where we see Jesus speaking to them, if you are a Christian, if, if you have encountered Jesus Christ and have a relationship with God, you have something to say. And you say, oh, Pastor Kevin, I don't know enough to talk to somebody. No, 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 that's not what I'm talking about. If you've even experienced the smallest bit of transformation in your life because of Jesus, then you do have something to say. And you also need to listen to the people around you when they express their doubts. Don't blow them off. Don't avoid them. Listen to what they have to say. And in doing so, you're going to start changing things for them. The second thing that you need to do is like Jesus did, but different. Jesus stood before them and said, look at me, to try to prove he was actually a person. But Jesus could also say, look at me, because he was the sinless person. He was the only person who never sinned. And he can say, look, look at me and let my life be an example to you. Now, none of us can do that. I certainly can't, and I kind of doubt that any of you can. But what we can do is this. When we live our lives with integrity in front of other people, what we're saying without a word is, look at me. If everybody else is doing this thing over here just because you can get away with it and you probably won't get caught, and you say, no, I'm not going to do that, you will be seen and known as a person of integrity. And in essence, you're inviting people to look at you. When you show compassion in a world that is desperate for compassion, a huge shortage of compassion in our world, and you demonstrate compassion towards somebody, you're inviting people to look at you. Oh, they're not really looking at you. They're actually seeing Jesus in you. But it's a way that you can say, look at me, by living your life in a way that models something different than what they're experiencing them. 
at that time. Jesus said, touch me, touch me, so I can prove to you that I'm real. Now, we have to be careful with touch in our society today because obviously there's inappropriate touching and there's also appropriate touching, and we have to be careful that way. But what we need to remember is that, that human touch is powerful. That's probably why we have a lot of trouble in our society today, because it is powerful. Last week, I went to the Wednesday night service. Uh, Pastor Mike preached a message on pride. He was looking at me the whole time. <laughs> he slayed me. But as I sat down at the Wednesday night service in my chair, somebody got in in the row behind me, and as they were walking past my chair, they put both hands on my shoulders, they paused for like one second, they took them off, and they moved on. And I just thought, oh, that was nice. I, I like that. I'm, there's other people here. We're not alone. We're in this together. I have no idea why they did that, but it was intentional. A while ago, I was in a small group, and we were discussing something really deep and really painful. And one of the people in the room just started silently crying, just tears running down their cheek without a sound. And I could tell that this person was really moved by what we were discussing. And out of the corner of my eye, I saw a movement, and it was the hand of the person next to them just reaching over and resting their hand on this person's arm. And I thought... Hand of Jesus. Hand of Jesus. Touch of Jesus. And, and that person right now knows they're not alone. Somebody else is right there with them. It's proof. It's the proof that the doubter needs. An appropriate touch. And then finally, the meal. How great is it to invite somebody to go out to coffee or go out to lunch and just Kind of give them all your attention. You know they're struggling. You know they've got their doubts. But somebody cares enough to be intentional about saying, hey, can we grab coffee together tomorrow? I'd love to hear about what you're going through. So these very four things that Jesus gives as an example, we can also be applying those. Uh, some of you know Linda's and my story. And without going into detail, you know, at one point we learned that our daughter had experienced some real trauma years before that she'd never told us about. And it was one of these things that just rocked our world. We weren't sleeping at night. We were questioning everything. I was questioning, you know, my, you know, my fatherhood in terms of being a protector and all this kind of stuff. And the doubt level in my mind was just going up higher and higher. God, where were you when? And in the midst of this mess, a few days after, you know, we found out about it, we already had this dinner engagement on our calendar with, with this couple that we really didn't know. Like, we met them once or something. It's like, oh, we really don't want to go out with these people right now. But we did. We kept our word, and we went out, and we had dinner with them. They're about our age. And then they said, we want to come back to our place for coffee? Like, okay. And so we went back to their place, and I can picture in my mind as if it was yesterday, this round table we were sitting around. We were all in rather close proximity to each other. And, and Linda or I, one or the other, we glanced at the other, and... and you guys that aren't married, you won't understand this. But there's this radar love thing, okay, that sometimes happens without words, you know? And in that glance, we just both knew we're going we're gonna to tell these people about we what we have just learned. And this was weird because they were almost perfect strangers. 
And so we started sharing with them what we had just learned about our daughter. And then it just came out. We're pouring all this junk out on the table. And they were just like listening to us. And they were asking the right questions and everything. And they grabbed our hands. And they said, we want to pray for you guys. I left that table that night. And my doubt level was like way down. It's like Jesus met us there. And, and the situation didn't change. But we realized we weren't alone in the situation, and we realized that God was active, and he cared enough about us to send us some couple that we didn't even know hardly to minister to us in our time of deepest need. Church, we can all be about that kind of doubt relief in our worlds. The third and final thing I want us to look at today is found in verse 45. And in verse 45, Luke tells us this, then... He opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. Jesus opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. Now, if you're here last week, Pastor Peter talked about why those guys on the road couldn't recognize or didn't recognize that it was Jesus. And, and, I, and I understand all that. This is a little different. This is a little different. Because if you have spent any time in the scriptures... Anytime reading the Bible, I will guarantee that you've run up against a roadblock. You've come up to something and it's like, that makes no sense to me. I do not understand that. I can read the words. I can read them over and over. But I don't understand. What is that passage trying to say to me? And that's where his followers were at this point in time. They could hear the words. They knew some Old Testament scripture and prophecy, but they just weren't connecting the dots. Yesterday morning, I went up to a little coffee shop I like in Piermont, and I was sitting there with my, with my Bible and my, my little notebook, and I, can't, I had come up against this roadblock. I'm reading through the Gospel of John on my own. I'd come up against this roadblock, and I had read this verse so many times in my life, and every time I would give up and just keep moving on. There's, there's good stuff ahead. There's stuff I can understand ahead. And yesterday, as I was reading it again and asking God for some clarity on this thing, it was like I'd never read it before. And I read it. It was like, oh, it makes total sense. I, I, un I understand it. And I believe that God opened my mind to the truth of his scripture. Now, now I needed to ask. And I needed to receive what he had for me. But I think I experienced a tiny little bit of what he was talking about here with his disciples when he opened their minds to the scripture. And it was super important for Jesus to do this because the scripture that he shares with them after we read that he opened their minds for scriptures, he's talking about God's grand plan for humanity. He talks about repentance for the forgiveness of sins. This is why Jesus came. This is why God the Father sent him to this earth to take on human flesh and live his life and die a criminal's death and be buried and raised from the dead. It was all about so you and I had the opportunity of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And Jesus needs them to understand this because he's about to pass the baton on to them. He's going to be leaving. They have to understand this because now this is going to become their job to keep on doing what Jesus has been doing. Jesus opened their minds to the scripture and to understand God's grand plan for humanity. But also we read in verse 48 that he opened their minds to mission, 
to mission. In verse 48, Jesus continues and he says, you are witnesses of these things. You are witnesses of these things. For the last 15 months, we've been seeing the things that they are witnesses of. We've been hearing the conversations Jesus had with people. We've been seeing him heal people that were sick, raise people that were dead, feed people that were hungry, forgive people that were sinful. And Jesus is now saying, guys, you are witnesses of these things. Now, a witness has a very simple job. I mean, you memorize the job description. Job description of a witness, tell the truth about what you experienced. That's it. That's all you have to do. Tell the truth about what you've experienced. And Jesus said, you guys have experienced all these things. You need to start telling the truth out there about what you have experienced. The good news is they got it. They got it. And we know from church history that in the lifetime of these very followers of Jesus, some of them went as far as India and even China being witnesses of the things that they had experienced. We know that. You, you can go to India, and, and it's all documented that the Apostle Thomas made it that far. And one of them probably made it to China. There's strong evidence of that. And the fact that you and I are here today is strong evidence that they were faithful as witnesses. Because one witness talks to somebody else, and they become a witness, and they talk to somebody else, and that has continued on down through the centuries, and you are here today because of that. Somebody was faithful to you. And so the very same mandate that Jesus is giving to them is given to us. You are witnesses. And in verse 49, I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. He's talking about the Holy Spirit here. This is not the first time he's talked to his followers about the Holy Spirit. He told them before, I'm going to go away, and that made him sad. And Jesus said, no, it's better if I go away, because if I go, then I will send the Holy Spirit to you. And I think there's, there's no question that his early disciples would have said, no, 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 Jesus, we want you to stay. We want you to stay. This has been great. We need more of this. But what they realized later on was that Jesus, human being, fully human, fully God at the same time, it's a mystery, don't try to figure it out, fully human, could only be in one place at one time doing one thing. Now, the disciples, they loved it. The 12 of them loved it because they went everywhere with Jesus. But it was so limited. And Jesus knew that this thing needed to explode. It couldn't just be restricted to two little provinces in Israel. No, this thing needed to go global. And the only way that was going to happen is if the Spirit of God was going to be present in every follower of Jesus Christ everywhere they went. That's where, that's where the Apostle Thomas could wander off to India in the power of the Holy Spirit. He wasn't walking away from Jesus. No, Jesus was going with him, empowered by the Holy Spirit. He opened their minds for understanding the scripture and for witness. Church, in these three truths that we have looked at here today, that we have heard from the lips of Jesus, the fact that his peace is here among us, that our doubts are addressed by him, and that our minds can be opened to understanding scripture and understanding mission. 
we see in Jesus his love, his care for us, his concern for us. He calls us his friends. And we see that he wants us to be successful, that he wants us to flourish in his life. He doesn't want us to be stuck people. He didn't want his disciples to be stuck people in that day. So as we conclude this journey today, as we close the book on the book of Luke, I'd like to ask you a question. What is it you need to hear from Jesus today? What's the word that Jesus has for you today? Is it a word of peace? Is, is that what you need to hear most right now from Jesus? That where he is present, there is peace. Where are you seeking your peace right now? If you're really honest with yourself, are you pursuing things that are disappointing? Or are you actually going to the source of peace and receiving the peace that's available no matter what? Or do you need to hear a word from Jesus about the doubts that you're experiencing? At any moment in a church this size, we have a lot of people going through a lot of stuff that can easily push us in the direction of doubt. If you find yourself in that place today, let me ask you this. Are you spending enough time with God's people? Are you spending enough time with God's people? When we isolate ourselves, which we often do in difficult times, it's, it's a bad spot to be in. It's a bad place. We need each other. This is by design. God did not design any of us to be a complete package. He designed us to actually need each other. How are you doing at spending time with God's people? Mutual encouragement from the people of God is one of the greatest doubt killers out there. Are you spending enough time in God's word? You know, this is the source of truth right here. This is where God mainly reveals himself to us is in his word. And if you're experiencing doubts, but you're not exposing yourself to the truth of the word of God, what can you expect? If you're struggling with doubts right now, ask yourself those two questions. Are you spending enough time with God's people and in God's word? Maybe the word for you today is your mind being opened. Like Jesus opened the mind of his friends that day so they would understand the scripture, understand what was coming. Maybe you've been close-minded to the word of God. I, I don't understand it. I get stuck in it. Well, have you asked God for help? H have you considered a different approach rather than just trying the same old thing over and over again? Or how about your mind being open to mission? And I know this gets a little scary. Because, like, I don't want God to send me to Africa or India or China. But honestly, in a church the size of Metro, there should be a few of us, you know, that we send off to these places. I believe God is calling some of us to serve globally. But he's calling all of us to be on mission with him every day of our lives, in our homes, in our schools, in the workplaces, here, in your small groups. He's calling us to be on mission. And I look at you today, so many of you are. So many of you are serving God in this church and outside of this church. And it just makes me proud. But probably there are some of us that, that aren't at that place yet. And again, I would encourage you to talk to God about that. God, how have you gifted me? How have you wired me? What do you want me to be involved in, in your great work in this world? The peace of God, addressing the doubts that come up in our lives and in the lives of those around us, 
and being open to all that God has for us today in his word and in terms of mission. This is what Jesus left with his best friends that night when he was with him. Church, I believe this is what God wants to leave with us as we end our journey through Luke. And I would encourage you to take away whatever piece of this is appropriate for you today. Let's pray.